I hope that you are here this morning with an attitude of joy, with a heart that is grateful for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather together and to worship. I hope that you are humbled. I hope that uh, you have a heart that is excited to learn, an attitude that is willing and ready to give God the glory and the praise that He truly deserves. I hope that you're here this morning, hopefully with an understanding of the serious nature of what it is that we do on the first day of the week. I hope you understand the reasons behind what we do and why we gather to assemble with the saints on Sunday, week in and week out. I hope you understand the respect, the reverence that ought to flood your mind and your heart as you approach God week in and week out. You know, whenever God does something, there's great purpose behind it, isn't there? Whenever God does something, there is a reason as to why He has done what He did. There's great planning. There's great thinking. There is perfect and infinite wisdom behind how God does what He does. Not in that God had to think long and hard or that it was cumbersome for Him to come up with whatever it was that He was doing, but the fact that there's a rhyme and a reason behind what God does. Understanding that, we see that within creation. We see that within uh, the scheme of redemption. Well, we see that within the reward that you and I can obtain if we are to live faithful lives while we're here on this earth. We know that God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, at verse 33, and yet, people all around our world, people in our religious world, still seem to be somewhat confused. I'm reminded of passages like 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, the Apostle Peter there talking about people, describing people who are twisting the Scriptures, who are perverting the Scriptures, who are making the Word of God say something that fits their lives rather than making their lives fit what the Scriptures say. And people come away with a different understanding of what God has stated for us and how you and I are to live our lives while we're here in this earth. But to what end? Well, as Peter talks about, to their own destruction. John chapter 12 and verse 48, we understand the words of Jesus are what we are going to be judged by on the day of judgment, not some perversion or some twisted version of the Scriptures. And yet people like this think that they can live and breathe and do whatever it is that they want. This morning as we talk about worship, I want to talk about some things that specifically uh, perhaps should help our attitudes as it pertains to our worship. Our mindset, the way that we ought to view worship, and then as we close, we're going to look at some practical applications, some things that will hopefully help us in our worship uh, on a weekly basis. I want to ask you this question as we begin this morning. What if today was your last opportunity ever to worship God? What if today was your last opportunity ever? Perhaps you were to leave this building this morning. Maybe Christ was to come back. Maybe there was to be some physical something that happened and maybe you would never ever have another opportunity to worship God. How would you say you did this morning? How would you, I guess maybe in our terms that we use today, how would you maybe rate your performance if you were to call it that? How would you say that you did in worship this morning? Was it good? Did you do well? Did you, were you active? Did you participate in worship? Did you do what you were supposed to do? 
or maybe you could have done better. Maybe you could have paid attention more. Maybe you could have sang with more heart. Maybe you could have listened better. Maybe you could have done something better in your worship this morning. I suppose more importantly, the question should be, what did God think about your worship this morning? If today was your last opportunity ever to worship, how did God feel about it? Did God accept your worship? Was your worship done in such a way to where it was that sweet aroma before God and that He was pleased with what you did and with what you offered Him? You see, that's the only thing ultimately that really matters, isn't it? As if God accepts our worship. I ran across this quote some time ago. I don't remember who it was that said it, but it goes as follows. We're not the audience in worship, but rather we are just simply collective participants, aren't we? You and I are here together worshiping God. Not worshiping ourselves. Not worshiping anything that we have created or to even make ourselves feel good. But rather, we're here with one goal and one purpose, that being to give God the glory and the praise that He ultimately deserves. You know, I think sometimes when we worship, week in and week out, maybe, I don't know, in some way, seems like maybe it's like we're getting ready for bed. In that, every single night, we go into the bathroom and we wash our face. We, uh, if you're a woman, you take off your makeup. If you're a man, I hope you don't take off your makeup. Uh, but maybe you put your pajamas on and you, you go through your nightly routine, right? And you get in bed and you close your eyes and you feel at peace because you've done everything that you're supposed to do in your nightly routine in order to go to bed. It becomes like second nature, doesn't it? You don't even give it another thought as to what you have to do in order to get to that place. Sometimes I'm afraid that happens in our worship, doesn't it? Sometimes I'm afraid that we come in week and week out and we sit in these chairs and we sing the songs and we go through all of the acts of worship, but we do so in such a way to where we don't even give it a second thought and sometimes our worship becomes routine. Sometimes our worship becomes, dare we say, monotonous or methodical to where we just go through the acts of worship, we never even think about it, and we just simply check it off the list and move on throughout our day. How do we avoid having attitudes like this? How do we avoid being individuals who make worship something that is routine to where we don't even give it a second thought? A couple of things I want to point out this morning in order for us to understand what true and worthy worship is. And here's number one. We have to understand what true worship really is all about. If you and I are to understand what it is that we're doing, as we gather here on the first day of the week to assemble with the saints, to give God the glory, the worship, and the praise, we have to understand it. Because you see, if we don't understand what we're doing as it pertains to worship, then we're going to end up doing it in the wrong way, aren't we? We're going to end up worshiping God in a way that is not pleasing and that is not acceptable to God if we don't truly understand what it is that we're supposed to do in the first place. There's a specific and certain way that it must be done. And we have to understand what that is. I don't know if you've ever heard this said before, but I've heard it said many times in our religious world, perhaps maybe even uttered out of the mouth of some Christians. But maybe sometimes people come into the assemblies and they walk out and they say this, man, I just didn't get much out of worship today. I just didn't get much out of the worship service in which I was just in. 
I came to the assembly and I participated in the acts of worship. I, I sang the songs and I bowed my head and I, uh, I partook of the Lord's Supper. I listened to the sermon. I did what I was supposed to do. And yeah, I enjoyed it, but it just didn't do much for me. I just didn't get too much out of it. After all, when you look up at our stage up here, there's, there's no band, is there? There's no mechanical instruments, there's no fog machines, there's no lights, there's no dancing, there's no clapping, there's none of these other things that you see out in our religious world. It just wasn't an exciting worship service. It just didn't make me feel a certain way inside and I didn't walk away from worship feeling good about what I had just done. You know, when I hear somebody say something like this, it shows to me, it proves to me that they have an attitude that is in a complete misunderstanding of what worship truly is all about. Because you and I have to understand as New Testament Christians that worship is actually so very, very little about pleasing you and I as it is compared to pleasing the One who has commanded us to worship in the first place. You see, if it's done the right way, then yes, we'll walk away feeling edified, won't we? If it's done the right way and we participate in the right way, we will walk away feeling encouraged, feeling glad that we were there. Psalm chapter 122 and verse 1 tells us, however, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up into the house of where? The preacher? No. Of the elders? Of the deacons? No. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of who? Of the Lord. True worship has everything to do with Almighty God and has so very little to do with you and me. Go back to our quote we just talked about a moment ago. As participants in worship, proving that you and I are not the aim in our worship. I think about a couple of passages. First in Acts chapter 17. The beginning of verse 24, the Bible says, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand that God is our audience. God is our aim. He is the one who seeks our glory and our praise. He's the creator. He's the Lord of everything. He has the infinite wisdom and power in this world. God doesn't need anything that you and I offer to Him. We don't have anything that God doesn't already have and own. People think in our religious world that they have to offer this in a certain way or they have to offer that in a specific way and things and ways that we think up. Surely, God has to accept whatever it is that I'm offering Him. It makes me feel good inside. It puts a smile on my face. It makes my heart feel good in the way that I'm worshiping. So surely God must feel the same way about my worship to Him. Just ask Nadab and Abihu. How do you think they, they feel right now concerning their worship that they offer to God? Yeah, the worship they offered was something that made them feel good. It was worship that they thought should have been acceptable and pleasing to God. And what did God do? God killed them just like that. Because it wasn't worship offered in a way that He had commanded them to offer it. Think about John chapter 4. When I think about worship, I can't help but think about John chapter 4. You and I understand that our worship, as it pertains to us as New Testament Christians, must be offered in a very certain and in a very specific way. There is criteria that must be met. If you think about it, it makes sense. 
God who has done everything in a specific and in a certain way, who has a rhyme and a reason behind everything that he has ever done, why would it not be required of his people to worship him in a very certain and specific way? Rather than just doing what feels good, rather than just doing what we think feels right, we must obey the one who has commanded us to worship in the first place. John chapter 4, beginning of verse 23, the Bible says the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Two ideas come to mind. Number one, that of our spirit. We are to worship in spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about our attitude, isn't he? He's talking about our mindset, the way that we feel and view our worship towards Almighty God. We must have the right heart and the right emotions. Don't come into the assembly of the saints to worship God, about to participate with a heart that is reluctant to even be here in the first place. Don't come here with an attitude that views being in the sim- in the assembly just as an opportunity to check off a box as your daily as your weekly duty as a New Testament Christian. Don't be present with an attitude of wishing to be somewhere else rather than where you are right now. Rather come with an attitude that's happy. Come with an attitude that is excited, one that is overjoyed for an opportunity to give glory and praise and honor to the one who has done everything for you in this life. I want to worship. That should be our attitude. I want to be here to be able to have this opportunity to give Him the glory, the praise, and the honor that He deserves. We should want to be here to fellowship, to edify it, and to encourage one another, to offer that worship and praise to God. Did you know that it's possible to come here week after week after week? to sit in these pews, to to, to sing the songs and, and to pray the prayers and to do all the things here, and yet for your worship to never go past the ceiling that's above you. For your worship to never reach the heavens because of your attitude. Our spirit is so vitally important as it pertains to how we worship Almighty God. But then, number two, he talks about this idea of truth, doesn't he? Not only in spirit, not only in your attitude, but also in truth. The idea of having book, chapter, and verse, scriptural authority to be able to do the things that back up all of the things that you and I do as New Testament Christians. There's a lot of enthusiastic people who offer worship to God, aren't there? There's a lot of people who have the right spirit, per se, who who try to do uh, things in the right attitude and the right mind, but because there's no truth to what they do, their worship never ever makes it to God. They can't say there's book, chapter, and verse that backs up what they do. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not enough, is it, to just be emotionally and enthusiastically engaged in worship. There's a lot of people who have a lot of love for God, who are excited and who who are ready to worship, and yet their worship has ways in which there is no truth in them. We have to understand there must be divine authority. John chapter 17 and verse 17 for what we do. Here's what we have to understand. There are far too many congregations in our day and age, brothers and sisters, who worship in spirit or truth, and not both. There are far too many congregations, far too many bodies of uh, of people who call themselves Christians, who do one or the other, and who do not combine both in order to have a pleasing worship to Almighty God. Think about this as it relates to our singing. 
We understand that it's a God-given command to do this on the first day of the week. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, places that tell us and that command us to, to, to worship with the singing that comes from our mouth, that, that comes out of our hearts. It's an opportunity to blend our voices together in praise to Almighty God. So brothers and sisters, why would we not sing like it? Why would we not sing like it, understanding what God has done for us, knowing that God has given us an opportunity to have our sins remissed, to be able to go to heaven and to spend our eternity, to have an escape from the world, to have an escape from the place called hell. Why would you not sing like you're excited that God has even given you that opportunity? Andy Baker once said, and I think many of you know who that is, but he once said something that, that always stood out to me. He talked about the song Marching to Zion. And he said, oftentimes we sing the song Marching to Zion, but we actually sing it like we're crawling to Zion. He said, why would we sing song, songs like Soldiers of Christ Arise when you're singing it like you're asleep? He said, don't sing songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, when you're singing like you don't even know if Jesus is yours in the first place. Brothers and sisters, we have to have the right attitude when it comes to concerning our worship. Sing knowing that Jesus Christ died for you. That Jesus Christ has given you an opportunity to escape the horrible nature of sin and this world. Knowing that there's something greater and far better than what this life has to offer. Have the right attitude, but accompany that with truth. You can flip that coin though, can't you? There's a lot of congregations that sure... They do what the Scriptures say. They do exactly what God has commanded them to do, and yet there's no enthusiasm about what they do. There's no uh, excitement. There, there, there's, no, there's, there's no enthusiasm about being able to worship Almighty God and, and worship Him for what He's done for them. And both are equally as bad. We must be able to have spirit and truth as it pertains to our worship in order to be pleasing and to be acceptable to God. That's number one, understanding true worship. Here's the second thing, and I think this one, I don't know, maybe this one's a little bit controversial. It shouldn't be. Uh, but this one is something that I think is important to talk about because it is something that evidently congregations you know, worldwide have, have struggles with this. If you look on any kind of attendance board or any kind of attendance record, what is the most attended worship service or gathering throughout the week? It's always Sunday morning, isn't it? What is one of the lowest attended times to meet? Maybe it's Wednesday, but a lot of times what is it? It's Sunday night, isn't it? Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, another opportunity to worship God, and yet it is one that so many Christians choose to skip out on. Why is that? Why is that? I think it's one that is of extreme importance to talk about because there are some Christians who believe, perhaps not verbally, but in action that opportunities to meet like Sunday night are not that important. And so I think that begs the question, should we even care? Should we even care about another opportunity on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening to come back together and to worship Almighty God? Do we have to be present? I think we have to understand this first question as we talk about it. In order for us to truly gain an understanding of this, is it sinful to only meet once on Sunday? Is it a sin to only gather together and to meet one time on Sunday morning or on Sunday whenever it is? I think we know the answer. The answer is absolutely not, is it? It's not sinful to only meet one time. In fact, I know of some faithful congregations who do this. There are congregations who have one worship service 
uh, and then they have two Bible classes instead of flipping it around like most congregations do. There are some congregations that I know of who, who worship in the morning. And then in the afternoon or the, or the evening, they have a Bible class or they have a singing service or prayer service or whatever it might be in the, in the evening. And there's nothing wrong with that. How do I know that? A couple of things. Number one, we understand when we are commanded to worship. Passages like Acts chapter 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, all talk about assembling when? On the first day of the week. I think we also have to understand here the silence of the Scriptures in that God did not have to verbally outlaw all of the other days in order to tell them that they had to meet on the first day of the week. Because of God's authority, He stated for them to meet on the first day of the week and immediately it outlawed all the other days that were there. I had friends who would grow up in the Catholic Church and they would always tell me that they had to go to church on Saturday so that they could go do whatever it is that they wanted to on Sunday. There's no scriptural authority for that. We are only commanded to meet on the first day of the week. And that's all we're told. There's no times. There's no telling of how many times we're supposed to meet. And a couple of those things come into play. I want you to understand this. Who dictates the times of when it is that we worship? Again, obviously on the first day of the week, that's scriptural. That's biblical. But who is it that gets to tell us when it is that we're going to meet on the first day of the week? Well, I think we all understand it's the elders, isn't it? It's the shepherds of the congregation who tell us, who dictate us, who dictate when it is that we get to worship and that we get to come together. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible tells us that uh, they are to shepherd the flock. They are to oversee the congregation. They are to watch over. They are to protect and they are to dictate how the flow of things go. They are in a God-given position of authority and they are to set in place when and where it is that the body is supposed to meet, obviously according to truth. So I say all of that to say this. Let's talk about Sunday night for just a moment. Somebody might say, well, Caleb, there's no book, chapter, and verse, is there? That tells us that we have to meet on Sunday evening. Or again, on Sunday evening. There's no book, chapter, and verse for that. And you're exactly right. There is no book, chapter, and verse for that. We're commanded to meet on the first day of the week. And that's it. So why should I make it a point in my life? Why should it be important for me to, under, to, to, to understand that I need to try to come back on Sunday evenings. Two things happen when you don't do this. Number one, when I don't come back for Sunday evening worship, I am disobeying my elders. When I don't come back for Sunday evening worship, I am disobeying my eldership. You see, the elders of this congregation have taken on the responsibility, a great responsibility, to shepherd the flock, to oversee the flock that meets here at this good congregation. They are the ones who make decisions. They are the ones who, who autonomously make decisions for this specific body of people. That being said, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us that you and I are to submit to our elders. Our elders have told us that we are to meet on Sunday morning for Bible class and then to also meet on Sunday morning for worship. And when you think about it, we don't balk at that, do we? Nobody balks at that. That's why we have the largest crowds on Sunday mornings. Nobody tries to fight the eldership or to argue with the eldership about meeting on Sunday morning. So why is it that when the elders have said it's, it's decided for us to meet again on Sunday evenings, sometimes we deem that to be something that's not important. Sometimes we deem that their authority isn't over us anymore as it goes into Sunday evening. Brothers and sisters, when did the elders' authority over us stop? 
When did it stop? To where we don't have to obey them anymore. You're going to obey them as when it, when it pertains to coming on Sunday morning, but then you're not when it pertains to Sunday evening? When does their authority stop ruling over you? You choosing to be present on Sunday morning is you submitting yourself to their authority by meeting at the time that they deemed appropriate. So why change that? Why the change of attitude? You don't get to pick and choose, brothers and sisters, when your eldership has authority over you and then when they don't have authority over you. That's not how it works. As a parent, you understand all too well that that's not how that works. Your kids don't get to pick when you as a parent have authority over them and when you don't have authority over them. Well, the same thing is with the eldership. God-given authority given to them to rule and to have that, that, that oversight over a congregation, to set into place all of these things. And as a congregation, as a member who has agreed to submit yourself to their authority, you must obey them if they are doing things in spirit and in truth. When you make the decision in your mind not to attend Sunday evening services, or afternoon, or whenever it is, I understand sometimes just circumstances and things cannot be helped. I'm not talking about that. But when you as a Christian make a conscious decision to place something else above worshiping Almighty God by missing or by skipping services for whatever reason it is that you think you ought to throw out there, you are blatantly disrespecting and disobeying your eldership. And as a byproduct, you're also blatantly in disrespecting who? Almighty God. An office of an elder is a God-ordained position. And when you disobey your elders, you disobey Almighty God. But then here's number two. When you don't worship with the saints on Sunday evening because you've chosen not to and because you deem it not to be important, then you also lack the proper love for Almighty God that you must have. You see, this is what ought to really stem our reasoning for worship in the first place, isn't it? When you and I gather together to worship, we do so because we want to give God the glory and praise. At least that's what we should be here for. We do so because we love God and we want to do what God has told us to do. And when we prioritize other things above worshiping God, we are showing a lack of proper love and commitment to the one who has created us. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and then turn around and say in the same breath, yeah, but fill in the blank is more important, so I'm not going to be there this week. You see, when we lack the initiative to be present at all worship services, we are showing a lack of love for Almighty God. Truth be told, it's all about our attitude, isn't it? It's all about our mindset as it pertains to our attitude towards worship. Are we truly understanding? Do we truly really know why it is that we are here in the first place to worship Almighty God? Can we, are we actually comprehending what God has done, what He has set in place in order for us to even have this opportunity to do it in the first place? Have the right attitude, have the right mindset, and it'll make it that much easier to worship God in a way that He's prescribed for us to do so. As we close out this morning, I want to talk about six things. Six things that I think will help each of us be more intentional in our worship towards Almighty God. And when I think about it, it must be just that. Our worship must be. It must be intentional. You cannot come in week after week and be robotic about your worship. Be methodical about your worship. Be monotonous about it. In that, like we talked about at the very beginning, it becomes routine. 
Because that is not worship that is accepted by Almighty God. That is not worship where you have the right spirit and the right attitude as it pertains to how you are to worship. So six things I think that are important that will help us, uh, that will help us in our worship. And we'll go through these very quickly. Here's number one. Prepare your mind as you approach God in worship. Prepare your mind. Understand what it is that you are about to do as you are about to worship Almighty God. Try to grasp the gravity of the situation as you are approaching God and to offer worship and praise to Him. Get into your mind why you are here in the first place, why you are even worshiping God, how you even have this opportunity to begin with. Prepping your mind for worship starts well before you even step foot into the building. At least it ought to. Be well-rested when you get into the assemblies. Try to avoid being out extremely late on Saturday nights. I understand sometimes things can't be helped, but try to prepare yourself so that you can have a ready mind for worship. Prep the night before, especially if you have children. Um, Kaylin and I are trying to navigate all this new parenthood stuff of trying to get we can never get anywhere on time anymore with, with, with the baby. It's just so hard sometimes. And I, only, I know I only have one child, so you guys with multiple kids are laughing at me. But I understand. But we've gotten to the point to where we try to get ready the night before. I, I try to lay out my clothes the night before. So that way, next time Joey and I come in wearing the same thing, just know I picked it out first, uh, that he, he copied me. Uh, but no, but, but do your best. To come into worship, come into the assemblies with a mind that is prepared, with a mind that is ready because God deserves and truthfully demands the best that we have to offer. Here's number two, bring a Bible. And I know this sounds so, I don't know, it just sounds so obvious, doesn't it? To bring a Bible to worship. Uh, but you would be amazed that, at what you see up here from the pulpit. For those of you who have been up here before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'd be amazed at how many people come into these assemblies and just simply sit. And I'm not saying that you can't pay attention if you're just sitting. Please understand, I'm not saying that. Sometimes, some people are able to do that. But for the majority of people, generally that is how you and I are able to get distracted in worship services. So, bringing a Bible helps you focus your mind on what it is that you're doing and how you are able to worship God. It helps you become more familiar with it. It helps you be someone who is able to fact check what is being talked about. Don't just take what is being said up here uh, at face, uh, for, for what it is. Check it. Understand that you and I are supposed to look at everything that is taught to us and lay it parallel with the Scriptures and see if it runs along with it. Passages like Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 and 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 tell us that we are supposed to do just that. Here's number three. Dress appropriately. Dress appropriately. And this all goes back again to, uh, to uh, the idea of our attitude. And I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say to you, this is exactly what you must wear in order for you to come and to have a pleasing worship service to God. That's not, I'm not going to say that because there really, there truthfully is no verse that tells us exactly what it is that we're supposed to wear. But I will say this, the way that you dress for worship sure does reflect a whole lot about your attitude towards your worship, doesn't it? Do we understand the serious nature of what it is that we're doing? The fact that we're approaching our Creator. The fact that we're approaching the very one who, who died for us to give us an opportunity to have a home in heaven. Does that affect the way that you approach Him? Does that affect the way that you dress as it pertains to your worship? Again, I'm not saying that you can't wear this or you can't wear that or you have to wear this or you have to wear that, but think about the importance of what you're doing. Here's uh, number four, very quickly. 
Be an active participant in worship. If I'm going to be intentional in my worship, I have to be someone who is participating. And again, you would be surprised at how many people, as you stand up here in the pulpit, you would be surprised at how many people just simply sit. People who just do not engage themselves in being an active participant as it comes to their worship service. There's, not, they're not, there's no singing. There's no concentration. There is no attitude that is present as it comes to worship. When it comes to worship, we are called to be participants. Again, John chapter 4, verse 23, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The only way to do it is in spirit and in truth. How can you do it in spirit and in truth if you're not actively participating? You can't do it. There's no way to be pleasing to God if you're not being a participant in the worship service itself. We must be actively singing. We must be thinking about the prayers. We must be meditating on Christ's sacrifice. We must be searching during the lesson. There are so many things that we must do in order to be an active participant. And one of the best ways to be an active participant is number five, block out distractions. Block out distractions. I understand it can be so hard, can't it? It can be so hard to do that. We want to check the football scores. We want to check, you know, whatever game is going on. We want to get on Facebook and look at, you know, our, our extended relatives and what they're having for lunch and compare it to what we're going to have for lunch today. I, I understand that. Culture has fostered us to be so to try to be so connected with the world 24-7, to always be in the know. But brothers and sisters, I promise it can wait for the duration of our worship service. And look, we haven't even talked about the length of worship service, okay? I'm not going to get into that, okay? Because I, I don't want to right now, okay? But let's understand why we're here in the first place. And if we do that, we're going to do all that we can to block out the distractions that present themselves. Don't play on your phone. Don't be cutting up and communicating with the people around you. Focus on what it is that you're doing. Here's number six. Remember why you are even here in the first place. Remember why you have even woken up today, put on what you're wearing, gathered your family, and made it a point to be here to worship God in the first place. We've gathered here to worship in a way that He has prescribed, so keep the main thing the main thing. Understand that you and I are here to glorify God, to worship, to praise, to give honor to His holy and His precious name because of what He has done for you. Without God, there is nothing. Without Jesus Christ and His death, there is no hope. But Jesus Christ did die. There is hope. And brothers and sisters, that's why we are here to gather together and to worship God on the first day of the week. I hope that this has been something that has been encouraging for you. I hope it has been beneficial to you as I know it has been for me as I have studied. I think lessons like this are ones that we all know. If I were to ask you each of you questions pertaining to this lesson, you would all give me the exact same answers, the right answers, and yet there are times that we need to be reminded. There are times perhaps that we need to have a little, uh, I don't know, shot in the gut to maybe wake us up sometimes, as I need it more often than not, to remember why I'm here in the first place, that being to worship my Creator, the One who gave His life for me, 
and the one who has given me an opportunity at a home in heaven one day. Maybe you're here this morning, and perhaps that home in heaven is not yours, but you want to make it yours. Know that we can change that. You can change that today. You can come forward, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name. We can baptize you into water, just as the Ethiopian eunuch was. We mentioned him in Bible class this morning in a young professional class, how they went down into the water. He was baptized. They came up out of the water, and the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing because he knew that he was on his way to heaven. Maybe you're here this, this morning, perhaps as a Christian, you haven't been living your life the way that you should have been. Maybe your worship to God isn't something that has been accepted by Him for some time because perhaps you haven't been coming with the right spirit. Maybe your attitude isn't what it should have been, and maybe you need to change that. Maybe it's just simply between you and God, take care of it between you and Him. But maybe it's been happening in such a way to where people in the congregation know about it. And you want to let them know that you're giving that up. You're going to repent of those things. You're going to ask God for forgiveness. And you want the forgiveness of your brothers and sisters. Know that we will be do, do more than, we're more than happy to help you, to assist you, to encourage you. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.